I went to Iraq uh, in 2004 with the Marines, and I identified as a libertarian at that point, but I didn't understand what it meant. And this is why I'm so passionate also about making sure that, that libertarianism is, is communicated correctly. Welcome to the Point Noted Podcast with your host, Johnny B, and co-host who shows up whenever he wants to, former NFL player, Rashad Barksdale. It's raw, unfiltered, and no topic is off limit. We talk sports, entertainment, culture, and a whole lot of random shit. Let's get to the point. All right, Point Noted Podcast, you're hanging out with your host, Johnny B. And on today's episode, we have a special guest in the house, uh, my man, Adam Kokesh. Adam, how are you? Outstanding. Thanks for inviting me to join you today. Absolutely, man. Uh, I always like to ask, did I butcher your last name? You know, my family says it different ways anyhow. So Kokesh, Kokesh, as long as you don't say Koresh or Kokesh, I think we're good. Okay. You just got to start with a co. And <laughs> <laughs> we're good. All right. What's going on, man? Uh, where are you at? I'm at home. I'm at the uh, the beautiful Garden of Freedom on my homestead, where I, I live off grid on uh, on ten acres in the mountains of Arizona. It's a little bit of a warm one today, and uh, I'm I'm just enjoying another you know beautiful day of living free here. Yeah, um, didn't you guys hit like a hundred and twenty something last week? Hold on, hey, 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 hey! Don't be biased against everybody in, in, in Arizona just because Phoenix is freaking insane and people aren't <laughs> supposed to live there. Yeah, no, I'm I, so, you know, uh, it, people make that, you know, that kind of assumption, like, you know, Oh, you're in Arizona, you know, th- that's like Phoenix. Right. And it's like, just, it, it's true. The majority of the population of Arizona lives in the Phoenix Metro area, okay. but they're crazy. It, it is absolutely inhumane. People are not supposed to live there. And, yeah, we, we are uh, – we're, we're at – so Phoenix is like a 1,000-foot elevation. And uh, Flagstaff, I think the highest city uh, in, in Arizona is 7,000 feet. Jeez. And we're at 5,000. And so Flagstaff, Flagstaff has skiing, you know, and uh, we're, we're a lot closer to that than, than Phoenix for sure here. So it's usually about 20 degrees cooler. So, yeah, we had, you know, this. It, I, I mean, it, it's so cliche at this point to say, well, you know, we've had a crazy year. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was a, a significant heat wave here. And uh, even, even in the mountains, we hit, uh, we hit 103 wow. a couple days. And, uh, yeah, to me, that's, that's, uh, that's not what I signed up for. But uh, <laughs> I can take it. I can take it every now and then. But yeah, and on days like that, I think, uh, you know, Phoenix, you know, regularly gets, you know, uh, close to 120. And no, like, I, I spent enough time in Iraq. I, I don't need that. At right. All. Have you ever lived in a, in a cold city where you guys have, a, you know, a real winter and you got snow and all that? Yeah, and that's why I'm never doing it again. Again. Okay. <laughs> where was that? Yeah, I, I lived in D.C. Oh, uh, in, oh, yeah. in, in Washington, and uh, is, is that the coldest place I've ever lived? Yeah, well, I lived in South Dakota, but only for a summer, so that definitely doesn't count. That doesn't count. You missed the winter there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you went at the right uh, time. Yeah, but uh, yeah, and I was there for bike week too. Oh. But uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm I, I'm I'm very happy with where I live. I chose very carefully uh, for a lot of reasons, but excuse me, personal preference for climate was definitely one of them right and uh i I really i love uh you know i love the climate here and i love uh i love my community Mm. you know we have we have a really cool community of homesteaders i live uh you know not just for for myself here you know on on 10 acres but uh there's a community of people who live similarly and you know are off grid and and to me this is at least, you know, living by my values, you know, and, and, and by that, you know, as, like, as a libertarian, uh, you know, I, I believe in ethics Okay. and, you know, libertarianism really is the only political philosophy 
defined by a consistent set of ethics. And, and we define this as the non-aggression principle. Okay. And that means that we respect self-ownership of other human beings that, you know, you own yourself right. and nobody else can claim ownership over you. And the way that we express that in a, in a moral code is the non-aggression principle. And it simply says that it's wrong morally to initiate fraud, force, or coercion against someone who is acting peacefully. If there's no victim, there's no crime. Right. No one has a right to use force against you right. if you're not violating anybody else's rights. And when I, and it sounds like a really simple idea, right? It like, does, you know, right. That's what I'm thinking. Like, wait, what? Why does anybody have yeah, a problem yeah, yeah. with this? Yeah, this is this is the mind-blowing simplicity of libertarianism at its core as an ethical philosophy. And what we believe in is is this respect for individual rights. And, and, and if you own yourself, then it's wrong for another person to violate your self-ownership, to deny you of your, your freedom or your, your justly acquired property by committing an act of force or fraud or coercion against you. So, you know, like, and it's, it sounds like it should be really freaking obvious to everybody, right? right? But it's right. not because we have been propagandized to accept a institution of coercion in, in our government that doesn't respect self-ownership and, and uh, is premised on it having, you know, this sort of special ethical position where basically ethics don't apply to government. You know, when we say, you know, force fraud or coercion, that, that's anything that deprives someone of their rights uh, against their will, obviously. And when it comes to what government is on its face, it's an institution based on coercion. So like as a libertarian, all I'm saying is that you shouldn't do unethical things, even okay. if you're government. You know, libertarian. I like to describe libertarianism. That. Yeah, right. <laughs> I like I like to describe libertarianism as simply ethics applied to politics. Okay. And when when you actually look at what government is, you go, "Wow, wait a second this this doesn't respect ethics. This is right. a fundamentally unethical institution." on its face, like how it operates is based on this premise that ethics don't apply to it. And uh, one of the things that we like to talk about as libertarians is taxation is theft. And, you know, a lot of people go, no, taxation is the price we pay to live in a civilized society. And you go, really? Government? Our, our government is a source of civilization? You know, what, what blue pill did you swallow to accept that line of propaganda? Like that, it, it's just, it, it is so, you know, it, it's so simple to say, let's apply ethics to politics. But the, the repercussions of that when we haven't been doing it or we live under the system as we do today, where it, it's accepted that, you know, the, the, the government can act unethically or that ethics just don't exist or don't apply to government. But like taxation is theft. Because if, if you take something, if, if you say, you know, you have to give me this or I'm going to take it from you or I'm going to penalize you or I'm, I'm going to take your stuff, you know, it, it's not okay to do that just because you're government. You know, like, I, it's, it's not okay for me as an individual to do it and it doesn't magically become okay for a government official to do it because they have uh, a fancy hat or, you know, a law that, that someone wrote down that says it's okay for them to do that. It's still not okay. And the implications of this, like, it's, it's maddening, you know, and, and when you wake up to this, it can be very frustrating because you go, holy crap, am I the only one who gives it, you know, who cares about ethics? Right. And, 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 and it really does seem that way sometimes. Uh, and, and the implications of this, are, are really huge and, and beautiful and, and positive for humanity if we just start applying ethics consistently. Yeah, I know you keep mentioning uh, ethics and politics, and I think that's one place we're not going to find ethics, um, which obviously, <laughs> <laughs> right? And, 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 you know, and I have interviewed with politicians. I'm like, well, 
when you get there, are you sure you can continue with this positive thinking, this positive message that you were putting out there about <laughs> no lobbies and no big funding money? And how long will you last saying that uh, before they cut you a check for me and then you just went to the other side? Um, yeah. But, you know, but to, to bounce back real quick, like, you know, you mentioned libertarian and all of that. So when did you realize this is the thing for you? This is the party. This is what, this is the belief that works. Like, what was that high moment where you said, okay, I'm a libertarian. This is the right way for us to live life. Like, like the hell with everything. Else. When, when was that moment for you? Man, I wish you didn't ask that question because my answer is pretty embarrassing. Uh-oh. No, I, I, uh, well, okay, so I, I went to Iraq uh, in 2004 with the Marines. And I identified as a libertarian at that point, but I didn't understand what it meant. And this is why I'm so passionate also about making sure that, that libertarianism is, is communicated correctly because uh, so often it gets turned into a political message, right? Like, well, the, the libertarians, they're, they're socially liberal and fiscally conservative. And, and right away you go, well, there's some coincidences there, but we're neither of those things. We're socially libertarian and we're fiscally libertarian because in both places we, agree, we, we believe in applying this non-aggression principle concept of ethics. And so if, if you look at the, the traditional left-right spectrum, which is really just different flavors of statism, of, of using government, using the violence and force of government, to solve problems that would be better solved by peaceful cooperation, right? And when I, so I became a libertarian in high school at some point in, and I, I tell the story apocryphally because really I, I don't remember the, the, the exact moment, but you know, at some point a teacher said, all right, for class today, you know, we're studying politics. Do you want to be a Democrat or a Republican? And I was like, wait, wait a second. <laughs> I thought this was America. I, I, you're telling me I have to be lame? Like, there's got to be some alternative. And, you know, they said, okay, well, uh, you can be a libertarian. You can, you can, uh, you know, be like one of those people who want to be left alone. And uh, as a punk kid, that had an inherent appeal to me of just like, all right, I'm, I'm not going to be part of the pack, you know? And I, I wish I could say it was, it was more thought out than that. Like, yeah, I studied philosophy and decided I needed a coherent, cohesive political worldview and happened upon libertarianism. It was the only one that made sense. Like, no, that's not usually how it happens. And I think we, we have a tendency to do uh, ourselves a disservice when, when we try to turn what is, what is usually a pretty deep, you know, kind of long-term, you know, almost soul-searching kind of experience. And for me, it was coming back from Iraq and going, wow, that was fucked. Why did that happen? Right. You know, and I, I joined Iraq Veterans Against the War. And that was uh, obviously a big deal for me in, in trying to undo some of the evil that I had been a part of. So when I joined IVAW, I, I would describe myself then as a libertarian, but I really didn't know what it meant. Okay. And I, I found myself, you know, working with all, all these other, uh, with all these lefties, you know, uh, in, in the peace movement and, and, and uh, you know, the veterans community. And, you know, we, we would debate and we would have great conversations. And at, at some point, you know, I, I was just unsatisfied with, well, you know, we can just agree to disagree. Like something in me said, no, there, there really has to be an objective answer. If, if we're all honestly in good faith trying to determine what's best for, for, for politics or for whatever particular issue. And, and that led me to, to be better in my positions. And, you know, you can say that we're socially liberal, fiscally conservative, if you just look at like the immediate application of policy. But like I said, that that really clearly misses the point. And for me, it took I, I, this is the embarrassing part. It, it took 10 years mm. to go from identifying as a libertarian to actually 
taking the time to understand what that meant. And I think it's, it's sad that, you know, for someone like myself, even it, it took that much, you know, self deprogramming, so to speak, to, to change my worldview. Um, but it's, it's kind of like, you know, accepting Jesus into your heart at some point you go, yeah, this is, this is irrefutable because you, 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 you start applying these ideas, right? You go, wait, that can't be right. That can't, well, hold on. I got to figure this out. I got to figure that out. But eventually you just go, yeah, there's no reason we can't just be ethical. There's right. no reason we have to make this exception, you know, don't hit, don't steal, don't kill, unless you have a gun and a badge or a fancy written law behind you or, you know, whatever the government excuse for unethical behavior might be. Right. Do you, uh, that's funny you said that. Um, by the way, uh, on your Twitter account, um, it has you as uh, Adam Freedom Kokesh. Uh, are you are you planning on changing your middle name to Freedom? Uh, well, as soon as I can convince my wife, we're changing our <laughs> last name to Freedom. Okay. <laughs> that's not a bad one, actually. You know, that's actually not a bad one. Um, so do you feel like uh, one of the issues we have, by the way, I think you have a great movement going on. Uh, with the whole libertarian thing that you have, uh, the person that you have online. Um, do you feel like it's more of a, a miseducation and being uneducated about what a libertarian is um, that's actually affecting, you know, the movement being more powerful than, than it is right now? Uh, because obviously a lot of us would be like, oh, I identify as a Democrat or Republican or independent, which I think is just bullshit uh, to say you're in the middle. You know, it's, it's, there's no such thing. You know, it's, Either you ride or left, or you just don't, or you just be like, oh, I don't care, you know. Well, yeah, that's, see that. No, no, see, I think that. I see that's that very attitude is a product of tribalist propaganda that you have to take a side in 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 a bullshit fight, you know, like in a fight between two different mafia families. Right. Do, do you really have to go and fight with one of them? No, you can say, hey, you you assholes, duke it out until you're dead. I don't care. Go knock yourselves out. And, and, and really, that's a pretty good way of understanding the two-party system. And, and I like to think of it as a one-party system, and I'm sure you've heard you know, different versions of this before. But uh, you know, we throw around these words like fascism yeah. and socialism right. and communism. And they're, they're sort of like words of political demonization that, as most people use them, don't really mean anything. But they actually have specific definitions. And the crazy thing is they all apply to the current federal government of the United States of America. Mm -hmm. So just to be clear, starting with Marxism or communism, there are 10 planks in the Communist Manifesto written by Marx. And you can look this up. There, we have all of them in effect in the United States, at least partially. Some of them completely, right? Like government running education for the most part or, or controlling the monetary supply through the Federal Reserve. Now, socialism is a, is, a, is a less specific but more inclusive concept of an economic system based on collective ownership uh, of certain means of production. And in that sense, we have, well, gee, they even call it social security. We have socialized retirement. We have socialized public safety with the police. We have socialized defense with the military. We have socialized medicine in, in so many different disgusting and, and maddening and, and, and deadly ways in the United States. Uh, we have socialized infrastructure with the roads. Um, you know, I, I socialized uh, regulations that should be handled by you know, insurance and certification uh, programs that could be done uh, on, a, on an ethical basis instead of a coercive basis instead. Uh, there's so many ways that we have socialism. It's like, you know, how socialist is America? Let me count the ways. No, you can't count them because the federal government's too big and, is in, and, and state governments and even local governments encroached in so many areas of our lives. And it, it's sort of like, uh, you know, you, you've heard the saying probably uh, a fish is unaware of the water in which it swims. Mm. Well, in that sense, most humans on earth today, but especially Americans as citizens of the empire, we are unaware of the statism in which we operate and have come to take it for granted. Now, fascism 
is often described uh, in, in much more negative terms. But I like Mussolini's definition. And he said that fascism should really be described as corporatism because, because it is the merging of corporations, excuse me, and the state. Now, I shouldn't have to explain all the ways that corporations are in bed with government in the United States, right? right, right. But when Donald Trump at the beginning of the coronaphobia crisis here, or the Karen virus, depending on how you want to pronounce that, Yes, the Karens are coming out in force. <laughs> it's turned, this, that's the real epidemic. It's turned everybody into a Karen and everybody's Karen. miserable because nagging bullies have run rampant and their behavior has become acceptable under this cloud of fear. Right. Uh, but Donald Trump came out and said that a lot of restaurants are going to close, but don't worry, they're going to come back just with new owners. And when government buys stock in corporations to bail them out in banks, and I mean, I, 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 could, I could talk for hours just about how the American federal government, and, and I, I think of it more as corporatism than fascism, because it's not, the, uh, you know, a clearly, I'm trying to defend government here, how dare I? Uh, but, you know, it's, um, it, it doesn't have a sort of clearly defined fascist ideology. But if you wanted to characterize it or categorize it as a fascist system, it absolutely qualifies. Now, so, Johnny, there's, there's one other thing I, I have to say here, because, you know, a, a big part of the problem with the dialogue around politics in America is that we do not take the time to define our terms. And we often end up talking past each other as a result. And in many ways, government does not want us to define terms. The Dalai Lama was once asked, what's the first thing you would do if you were president? And he said, I'd start calling things by their true names. Mm. So I, I imagine it might sound like this. Taxation is theft, war is murder, police are thugs, politicians are criminals, and government is a racket. But let's define that term government because they don't teach civics in high schools anymore, right? They don't want people to know these things. And now we think of government you know, as this thing, that the, the people who are in charge. And it's become this very vague concept and people throw around that word without ever defining it. Now you can say that you know, a government, as we, governments as we know them today, we're not talking about student body governments or corporate governments or anything like that, but the sovereigns of the state, the, 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 the territorial institutions, what really defines them as government? It's that they have a claimed territorial monopoly on the initiation of force. Now, that's a, a pretty dense definition. Got to unpack it a little bit, right? So the idea of initiation of force, right? Like if I walk up to you and put a gun to your head and say, give me half your income, I go to jail. But if I work for the IRS, I get a paycheck. Government claims the unique right to be able to do that, to enforce regulations, right? Government can come up behind you with its representative in the police, you know, red, white, and blue means freedom till it's flashing behind you. And they can force, and, and every time they pull you over, make no mistake, there is a threat of death. Every time a cop flips his lights on, it's you will do what I say, you will comply, or I will be justified using deadly force against you if you resist. Right. Right. And I and love that right there. And sorry to cut you off, but I, I, I just sure. love what you just said right there. Um, and obviously being an African-American, that's something that, you know, I, I'm obviously consciously aware of. Yep. Um, every yep. time I get put over, I used to tell my buddies all the time that, um, you know, next time I get put over, I'm just going to start crying. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll be in tears already. So we can deescalate the situation from that point. Uh, and hopefully he has some kind of passion and compassion when he sees me just boiling up. Uh, but, yeah. but Adam, it, I have it, to say, though, man, how do we keep law and order, right? If we don't have police and we don't have the government, how do we, how do we keep, we can't self-govern. 
Sure. Well, 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 let me, let me say something about, about what you just said first, because, you know, I've been a civil disobedience activist. I've been arrested more times than I can count Ooh. in, in deliberate protests and demonstrations and to okay. make videos and, and to make a point here and there. And, and I think that gives me uh, an appreciation for what black Americans experience. And of course okay. I can never fully appreciate it, you know, being half Jewish and half German, but what I, what, what I said there about the threat of death behind every police order, uh, I think that's something that black Americans are much more attuned to and aware of than white Americans. And, and, and I think, you know, for, for white Americans to, to have that experience in the, in the, in the legal system to, to get arrested uh, can, can really make you empathetic, not just to black Americans, but to everybody who's a, a victim of the state. So right. to your bigger question, you know, how do we have law and order? You know, and, and, and th there's a real important distinction here on what is legal versus what is lawful. And, you know, people, just, just bear with me. This is how I'm using these terms to differentiate concepts is that lawful means ethically legitimate and in line with the natural law. And the natural law is, is, is a body of thought of, of justice based on self-ownership, the non-aggression principle, this basic concept of ethics, where, you know, if, if you hurt someone, uh, if you steal something or, or, or cause damage, justice is making them whole. Now, just as a counterexample to, to the current situation or with the current situation, uh, when I got back from Iraq, I used my deployment money to buy a motorcycle and I had it parked in front of my dorm where it was stolen. And uh, the cops caught the guy on a high-speed chase with his girlfriend on the back, helmet straps cut to get him off the, the hook lock on the back of the bike. And the guy went to jail and I got my bike and I, I took it to a mechanic to get a value. It was trash, you know, and I got, you know, an estimate for $6,000 in damages that were done to this bike. And I went, and I went to court when this guy had his hearing and the judge approved it and said, yes, Adam, this is correct. This guy owes you $6,000. But what happened? He went to jail. I never saw a dime of that. I was punished twice. I was mm. stolen from by the guy who stole my motorcycle, and right. I was stolen from as a taxpayer to provide him with uh, all of the you know, how, free housing and, and food and health care that he got when he was in jail. That's not justice. Right. So I it, it, when you when so I, I got to break down. So legal, the term legal means just is it in line with the current written law? And when the current written law is not based on ethics, it's usually unlawful, you know, like cannabis or any kind of drug prohibition. Hey, if there's no victim, there's no crime. No crime. If the I government agree. goes to you and says, like, I can't, I can't go put a gun to your head and say, come over here and sit in my cage for a few months because you put something in your body that I don't approve of. It's no more ethical for government to do it. And the drug war itself is fundamentally criminal. When a cop arrests you for any drug law violation, he is the criminal, not you. So with all that being said, to answer your question more directly, you can't just say, how do we maintain law and order? It's how do we deal with this problem, this problem, like in this situation, how could society come up with a way of dealing with this challenge better with an ethical system? And libertarians, you know, we're, we're nerds, you know, we're, we're, you know what, I, I think I'm naturally a little bit autistic anyway, but there's nothing like becoming libertarian to make you feel autistic. Cause it's like, mm. am I the only one who sees this? Am I the only, you and you want to screech, you know, ree, ree, you know, autistic screeching, right? You know, you want to, you know, to, to, to think these things out. And when you step away from the herd, you know, you often have to reassure yourself that you're doing the right thing. And so yeah. libertarians have spent countless hours figuring out different mechanisms by which we could organize institutions to provide for public safety, to hold criminals accountable, that would be based on the natural law and real justice rather than a system of punishment. Punishment is not justice. Punishment is fundamentally unjust. To punish now, yeah, you can say punish as, as a broader definition, but as opposed to justice, justice is when you make your victims whole. Punishment is when you hurt somebody in order to control their behavior 
or through fear and intimidation control the behavior of others. We don't have a justice system in America. We have a punishment system. And we have to do better than this. And I, I'm very optimistic. Uh, I believe that humanity is naturally progressing towards a state of greater ethics. And I have statistics to back this up if you want to get into it. Let's but go. I, Listen, well, okay, I, feel well, like, I feel like this is going to be one of many conversations between you and I. Because uh, sure. I have, Adam, I have so much question in my head. And as you speaking, I'm like, man, we got to do this so many times. Um, and I know my right. co-host couldn't make it a day, but he's one, <laughs> he's one of those guys that would have filled you up with more questions than I already have right now. Yeah, um, man, we'll do a follow-up. I'm, I'm happy to. So let, let, let me end with this, because I think I can kind of tie things together for people here. Okay, in, let's go. In, 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 a, in a really helpful way, because you said, you know, give me the numbers. Well, uh, I'll, I'll just give you this real quick. If you look at Professor Steven Pinker, Harvard professor, I disagree with him on a lot of things, but his great contribution to, to, to the, the human academia is that he proved irrefutably that we're not only living in the most peaceful times in human history, but that that follows an historical decline that's consistent throughout human history. So humanity marches on. I like to think of it as our great dance forward, sometimes two steps forward, one step backwards, but we, we do progress. Now, when it comes to your challenge of law and order or public safety or justice or, or holding real criminals accountable, at some point you realize there's no way that a coercive system is gonna be better than a cooperative system. And this gets to the heart of capitalism. And capitalism also very often misdefined, but simply, in as the dictionary says, an economic system based on ownership of the means of production. Well, the ultimate means of production is the individual human being, your mind, your consciousness, your independent will. And if you don't own yourself, you don't have capitalism. But this concept of free trade under capitalism is, is based on respect for that concept of ownership. And if I want to have a relationship with you, Johnny, and, or some kind of exchange of, of whatever, uh, if I put a gun to your head and that's how our relationship is defined, well, I, I'm winning, you're losing. If it's cooperative, if we both choose to be a part of it, if it's by consent, you know, it's like this is the difference between rape and lovemaking. Is there consent involved? Do you, right. do you consent to this? And with government, it's like, I didn't consent to this. I don't have a choice. So if we have a, if, if we both choose to agree to an exchange because we both perceive that it benefits us, then we have this ideal uh, of value creation and, and respect for value, respect for individual rights, respect for property. And, and of course, that means most importantly, your body, yourself, that self-ownership concept. And this suggests an ideal for humanity in which all human relationships are free of force, fraud, and coercion. So specifically, uh, as a libertarian, I, we, we sometimes refer to this as voluntarism. I call myself a voluntarist. That is the uh, belief in the ideal that all human relations should be voluntary. And any time you introduce coercion into a relationship, whether it's between two individuals or a government and its citizens, someone is losing. It's a win-lose relationship. And when relationships are consensual, they are win-win. And as libertarians, we don't pretend to have all the answers. We don't pretend to know what's best for everyone. All we're saying is that we're all gonna be better off. We're all gonna live in a better world. We're all gonna be happier, safer, more prosperous, and by definition, more free when no one is using force to violate our rights and we're really able to step up and meet our potential uh, as, as a species, as, as the human family, to provide for each other's needs and, and to live happy lives. And, and really that's what it's about. This is a uh, you know, compassionate, you know, empathetic worldview that, that values human life and values freedom because we recognize ethics. Right. Wow, Adam, I, I so much appreciate the passion and the knowledge that you're dropping on the listeners right now. Um, and I know I have so many follow-up questions, like with the tax, with the police being thugs, the government, the punishment, and just, listen, I have so many that I'm definitely, after this, we're talking about the next episode we're having together. But 
I know we're running short on time, and before we wrap it, I got a couple other questions that I definitely have to get in uh, before right. I let you go here. Um, and I know you keep referring to cohesion and all of that. Um, do you think we should be wearing masks, and should we be forced to wear masks in dealing with COVID? Well, I, let me let me first step back to say uh, that. Oh wow, my uh, my puppy just ran in here covered in mud. How did you get like that, dear? This is my my puppy Marilyn, and yeah, this is the cost of a puppy is not the cost of the puppy; it's the damage, <laughs> as we're seeing right now. Um, excuse me for that. Okay, so uh, mm. about first first about the coronavirus. You know, I like to call it the Karen virus, right. but uh, the virus is real, but it is best described as a funky off-season flu that is as deadly or a little bit more deadly than the flu, but not on the scale that justifies, you know, any of the government intervention that we're seeing right now. Mm. And certainly not, uh, no, no virus, no medical threat ever justifies doing something unethical. So specifically for masks, there should never be any mandates Really, that's to, to, to force people now because you can now you can set your own terms on your own property in your business. But for you to say that you cannot be somewhere that you have a right to be without dressing the way that I want you to dress, that's a violation of individual rights. I have a big problem with that. But more importantly, it's anti-science. Now, doctors wear masks in surgical environments for short periods of time so they don't drop droplets into open wounds that cause bacterial infections. You know, obviously, there's, there's, a, there's a totally different situation there than when we're talking about widespread prolonged mask use as if this keeps us safer because the science says it doesn't. We've had these controlled studies using the flu virus where you actually had you know, a, a controlled, serious experiment, and you had a, you know, a control group and an experiment group, one with masks and one without, and it turns out that wearing masks increases rates of viral transmission. Now, the theory on this what? is that there are a few mechanisms of it. First of all, the masks don't stop the virus because, uh, you know, it, it, the, the virus is smaller than the holes in the masks. Uh, and goes around it, and go, you know they're not an actual, uh, you know, continuous block of the, you know, uh, of the cloud that is the virus itself. Also, you're, cre you're you're depriving yourself of oxygen, which weakens your immune system, and you're touching your face more often because of the mask, and you're creating a moist environment that creates the uh, the propensity for viral and bacterial development. So wearing masks should really only be done in very limited situations. You know, when you're, if you're around someone who is particularly vulnerable, um, you know, or if, uh, if, if, if you're vulnerable and you want to protect yourself, you know, I respect your right to wear a mask if, if you want. I think everybody should have the right to protect themselves and, and, and wear, uh, you know, as they see fit and, and wear whatever they want to protect themselves. Uh, but it, the, the science is pretty clear on this, and it really is, I mean, it really is a, a major part of the, the, uh, the scam that we're experiencing right now. And, and just to be clear, the purpose of government, and they won't teach you this in any government school, the purpose of government is to keep the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. And you That's go, it. oh, <laughs> That's yeah, it. That's no it. shit. Right? Like, uh, that, oh, 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 yeah, that explains it, doesn't it? It sure does. You know, in, in, in a way that, that no, you know, other bullshit excuse that government will give you comes close to even describing the reality right now. So the, the, the corona, like, I, I'm very proud of the fact that on February 1st, on my birthday this year, uh, I did a podcast titled the corona what are, the corona hoax okay. the coronavirus hoax and uh, ron paul did a column by the same title a month later like i said i'm not saying that the virus itself is a hoax but the idea that it represents a special threat and an excuse 
for government to violate rights, take on more power, and create possibly uh, the biggest single transfer of wealth in human history. We've seen over $10 trillion of liquidity added to the market recently. Um, we, we've seen uh, a real estate crisis, an unemployment crisis, an eviction crisis. Uh, there's there's going to be a tax default and homes being seized by government. Uh, possibly a wave of those, you know, as, as tax bills come due over the next few months. And this is serving the purpose of government for the rich to get richer and the poor to get poorer at a, a rate faster than has ever happened before. Uh, I think at least it's somewhat subjective, you know, but at least around a singular event in human history, I, I really do think that this is uh, is unique. And when, when you understand those, you go, oh, that's why this is happening like this. You know, was, was there any reason for them to shut down the economy? No, absolutely not. It, it, and, and, you know, you can't even, you, a lot of people fall back when, you know, they get this perspective. And they go, oh, okay, well, I guess government should just be, you know, a conduit for information and they should be able to to tell people what's going on and, and give them warnings, right, and things like that. You know, well, if you remember early on in the beginning of this, Donald Trump ordered the CDC to conduct deliberations in secret. You can't even trust them with that. Like, why would you want, like, when you recognize what government is, then, you know, you see a lot more of, of what's going on. It becomes, it, it becomes relatively easy to decode. Now, I want to say one other thing, because I, I, I define government based on what we know of governments today. But I think that the, the libertarian answer is, or challenge is, how do we transition from our current coercive system to a non-coercive, a peaceful system, or a non-violent system, or however you want to describe that? And I think the answer is localization. I don't want to pull the rug out from underneath anybody. I, I don't want any, any kind of major upheaval for people who are dependent on government. But localization, as I define it, is taking governments apart from the top down. This was uh, my, my platform as, as a presidential candidate and is uh, what I'm, the, the same platform I'm going to be running on in 2024 because it's the only ethical position to say, if you give me the ring of power, I'm going to throw it into the fire. And the goal with this is to get government down to the community level, because a community is a voluntary group. You can choose to leave or join at any time. You can't be forced really to be a part of a community in that sense. And I think when we get government down to the, to the level of local communities, you'll, you'll really see it transition um, you know, through accountability and just direct connection to the people it's supposedly serving to a more ethical system. And right now, like, you, you think about how much more wealth humanity has produced uh, and, and what we're capable of producing technologically just, you know, over the last 100 years, even the last 10, 20 years, it, it's an, the technology is an exponential phenomena. And yet quality of life has been going up mostly linearly for, for even us citizens of the empire in the last few decades. It's because of government. This is why we can't have nice things. You know, they were about to vote on federal cannabis legalization and moderate Democrats said, no, we have to wait until after the election because this might be bad for our reelection prospects. And you go, oh yeah, don't do the right thing. Do the political thing. And, 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 and that's just what, like, I'm a pot smoker. I, I, I use it to manage my, my PTSD. Um, and, uh, and I enjoy it recreationally as well. But, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's really, uh, I can look at the cost of that and say, yeah, this sucks. When you think about that $10 trillion, think about all the money that banks and corporations and politicians and people who don't deserve it have. That came from you. That came from us. That wealth is supposed to be in the hands of the people. And what government has done in, in the modern era of, of modern bureaucratic governments, although you could say the same thing about monarchies in a sense, is, is create hugely unnatural concentrations of wealth and power. And they didn't come out of nowhere. They, they came out of 
the, the, the rightful wealth of we the people. And, and uh, I think localization also provides us the way to take it back. Yeah. Um, wow. So well, a long I answer. <laughs> Did you just, wasn't that, didn't you ask something about masks? Yes, about COVID. And I listen, Adam man, I'm just I'm just glad you were able to come on here and just spill it all out because I have so many encounters, so many questions. Um, which is why obviously we gotta do it again. Um, but I mean your your bid for the government, um, why it's uh, largely valid. I have so many questions as to why I disagree with that, you know, they are bad for us that we don't need them, you know, and, and I'll point quickly on the COVID thing. I think why you may be able to police yourself and I can police myself. I think there are millions out there that just don't give a shit. Um, and, and I know you think the masks don't work. I, I think it does. I haven't seen uh, the science that says the mask doesn't work. Clearly you have. And I know there's a ton of them out there, which sometimes you don't know which one to believe. Right. I get that. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, no, no, this is, it, it's, it's, it's really important to, you know, this is why, you know, critical thinking let alone the scientific method is not taught to most students properly or, or, or at all in this country, like along with civics. And, you know, when, when they say like masks prevent the spread of the virus, it's like, yeah, if, if I'm sitting in front of you and I sneeze and I have a mask on, it's going to be less likely to, you know, to, to hit you with, with my droplets, obviously. But that doesn't, that doesn't take into account the policy that you're suggesting which is wear a mask all the time when around other people. And the science on the, you, you have to ask the right questions. And if you go, do, do masks work? Well, for what? And if you go, well, in an overall population-based study, do they increase or decrease the rates of viral transmission? And you go, oh, well, in that sense, if you ask that question, yeah, they actually increase it. So it's not that the they don't work. It though, isn't it? That's the whole right, point. They, but they, the, the masks work to make people sicker. The masks work to make people afraid of each other. The mm. masks work to give Karens of the world and politicians an excuse to bully you into submission and to associate people who know better than to go along with their bullshit with people who don't care. And, and, and this is a really dirty trick that they have pulled with this whole setup because people who don't care about their fellow human beings might just not wear a mask out of whatever you know right but the thing is that's that's not even true the people who just don't care are wearing masks out of compliance i i've gone to walmart uh you know a couple times in the last month in flagstaff and prescott and me and the person i was with you know we went at busy times we were like the only people in the store not wearing masks you know it was, it was you know one percent of us and the, the government says oh well you must not care no, you have become such effective bullies that the people who don't care are just kind of going along to get along. Okay. I don't wear a mask because I do care, because I don't want to get sicker myself, and I don't want to promote this counter-scientific policy. That We'll, we'll figure this out eventually. I, and I, I got to just insert uh, a note of humility here. And it, it, when the virus first became a thing, I, I kind of fell for the hoax. You know, I, I, at one point, I thought I had it. I ended up testing and testing yeah, negative for, for the active. Yeah, yeah, exactly. See, it's one of those things. Well, do you have the sniffles or a cough? <laughs> well, you probably got corona. You know, and, and, and it takes a while. Like, for someone like me, who has this incredible luxury that I'm so grateful for, uh, of being able to spend so much time with my head in the news every day, figuring this stuff out, it still took me a couple of weeks to go, oh, they were citing the wrong scientific studies that were asking the wrong question to justify this policy. Oh, they're lying about the numbers with that. Oh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you've heard the one about, you know, the, the guy who was skydiving and his parachute didn't open, but he died of coronavirus right before he hit the ground. You know, and, and I've got, <laughs> no, I've got way more. I've got way more jokes about coronavirus, but 99.9% of your audience won't get them anyway. So I'll just, I'll spare you the dad humor here and, and just say that like, hey, you hey, got to hey, step back. Hey, my and... audience get it. My audience, <laughs> they are brilliant professors. Yeah, but that's, that's why they don't get bad dad jokes that I tell. So, uh, <laughs> you know, you just got to be able to step back. And so there's, 
there are a lot of reasons why government wants you to wear masks right now and why they're pushing this as a tool of control and suppression and disconnect. And, and it's always in the government's interest to make you afraid of your fellow human beings. You have to be afraid of the, the stranger in the dark alley, the, the random black male in the white t-shirt, you know, who's guilty of all these crimes that you know, we, we just we don't have a suspect for. Um, and to, to, to recognize, like, again, what is the purpose of government? Why are they doing this? It, it becomes a lot easier to understand right. uh, what's going on. Child sex trafficking with masks. I know this sounds like an esoteric thing, but if, if you can move kids around and they can't speak out or you can't see their faces or they can't be recognized, uh, a, a lot of evil becomes a, a lot easier when when you have the population wearing masks. The thing about being afraid of your fellow citizens, though, is so critical to the government's use of fear to keep people compliant, because it's it's saying they're saying you know don't be afraid of us, the people who you know have are, are institutional criminals and start wars and you know kill children with drone strikes. Be afraid of your neighbor. Don't talk to your neighbor. Just call the police if something goes wrong. You can't trust your fellow American. You have to trust the authorities. Mm. And, and that's a very, very insidious and, and dangerous part of the current American paradigm that, you know, I, I think love and this, this message of ethics and, and, and respect for your fellow human beings and a, a recognition of our common humanity uh, that, that, that we all are independent consciousnesses in our own bodies that w with rights that deserve to be respected. Uh, it's a very dangerous message. I mean, just, just love. You know, you think about uh, John Lennon, you know, and uh, MLK, you know, the people who tell you to love and, and be connected and appreciate your fellow human beings. What happens? They get shot. Uh, or they get shadow banned and censored like me. I, I, sometimes I'm like afraid of being too successful because, you know, that, that's, that's what's going to happen. That's, that's what happens to people who preach love against an authority that's based on fear. Mm. Wow. So you have, um, uh, I think you were supporting, uh, who is it, Joe, Joe Johansson? Joe Jorgensen is the current Libertarian Party nominee for president, and I'm very grateful that we have a candidate this year who does properly represent this ethical, principled concept of libertarianism as opposed to the politicized, watered-down version. Yeah, she's definitely not getting no main media, uh, mainstream media. Um, but, you know, she, she doesn't have a chance, though. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's sad, uh, but a, a big part of why we do what we do is to build a movement right. and For to, running, to get people right? to hear the message. <laughs> yeah, right. So that, well, see, I, see, if you're trying to convince people to vote for a libertarian, you kind of have to convince them to give up a part of their worldview. And with localization, we don't have to do that. I think my platform is a lot stronger that way than, than what Jorgensen is offering, although she is uh, representing an ethical message and, and doing everything within the presidential powers to, uh, to, to eliminate coercion by the federal government. But uh, by the way, maybe we'll say this for the next interview. Uh, the, the, the current constitution is actually illegal. If you're a constitutionalist because you believe in societies writing down their rules and respecting them, then you gotta be 100% against the current constitution because it's the product of an illegal coup against our lawful constitution, which would be the Articles of Confederation that were in place before that. George Washington was not actually the first president of the United States. I know, go back, do the research. It's a lot of fun. Um, but with localization, I can say, look, if you're a conservative in a conservative state or a liberal in a liberal state, we get rid of the central authority. Both of you get more of what you want right away without the inefficiency of this bigger centralized system and being forced into compromises that inevitably follow favor politicians and their sponsors at the expense of the people. So, and this is an important thing with libertarianism: is libertarian liberal or conservative? It's it's neither. It it, it says if if you want to live in a society uh, based on your preferences, you can do that with as many people as you can peacefully convince to be a part of that. 
you know, the way I say it is, uh, or, you know, my, one of my talking points for the campaign was, you know, if you're a, a, an ethnostatist, you know, you're a white nationalist or whatever of some kind, uh, and, and you want to live in a racially segregated nation, then, you know, you, you, that, that's disgusting. And I will never be a part of that. And I don't want to be a part of that. And I will not promote it. But if you're not forcing anything on anybody else, you're just express, expressing your preference for freedom to associate based on the stupid criteria of race, then you know what? I respect your right. And this is the modern equivalent of, I may not agree with what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. Right. And I can go to the other extreme on this and say, if you're a gun-grabbing nudist socialist and you want to live in a commune in the woods, hey, have at it. I'm not going to live it. there either. I'll take my entertainment value from a distance, but I respect your right. So in, in, so in, in that sense, a libertarian is really just someone who says, you know, whatever systems that we have for so social organization, they have to be ethical. Absolutely. Adam, thank you so much uh, uh, for coming on the show and chatting. I know a lot of guys listening to this definitely got to do some, some reading, some extra reading. So thanks for the homework. Um, yeah, well, you know, my <laughs> pleasure, brother. And yeah, let's let's do a follow up, you know, or um, maybe uh, you know if your if 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 your audience has any other questions, I'm live. Uh, well, I got censored and I got I got a temporary ban on YouTube. Right. What was that all about? I made a video covering the false positive Corona tests and the implications of that in policy. One of the tests that the federal government has been promoting uh, has been found to have a one-third false positive rate. Mm. Let that sink in for a second. One in three people who take the test who do not have corona are told that they have corona. Yeah, of course. Okay. And if you test an entire population, I think I was covering that that Britain is is uh, trying to do this. If you, even if you have a test that only has a a five percent false positive rate and you test your entire population every week, and you, know, you say, well, we, we have to have this extra government power until, uh, until the virus goes away. Well, you're always going to have 5% of the population sick week after week after week, which creates this you know, perpetual, I mean, it's like the global war on terror, right? And I can tell you from my experience in Iraq, where we made enemies faster than we could kill them, the global war of terror was not engineered to be won, but to be perpetuated. And when governments around the world figured out that they could use this coronaphobia as an excuse to further their purposes, uh, you know, they, they all kind of jumped on board. So, um, yeah, anyway, I got, I got so much more. But, yeah, if people want to join me, I am live. Uh, uh, on Adamverse. Oh, and by the way, so this video talking about the false positives, uh -huh. their official charge against me was impersonation. Impersonation. That's what it said on my YouTube page. Wow. Yeah, that that, and I was I'm I'm banned from posting or streaming for seven days, which means I can't stream to my own website because we were porting the YouTube video over there. But Monday, 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 Monday is our 500th episode of Adam versus the Man. Uh, if the ban is lifted, we will be streaming live again at adamvsthebanned.com. Big and, 500. Uh, yeah, I, I do two hours a day because I can't shut up, as you can tell. And, <laughs> uh, you know, we, we, we cover the news. We have a lot of fun. You know, we, we, we take calls. We, we do live comments. I have, uh, I have a producer who watches the comments for me during the show live. Okay. And, uh, you know, if people have, have questions for me, I'd, I'd love to take questions uh, on the air like that. So uh, ho hopefully some of your listeners who are uh, intrigued by this, who want to get more involved, will, uh, will join us next week. Definitely. And actually tonight, and, and uh, I do have to go because I got to run into town and get a couple things done. In two hours, uh, I'm doing a, a Cigars and Sunsets little live stream here uh, at, in Gardenia. Uh, I have uh, an, a sponsorship deal now with Cigar Federation. Okay, and, congrats. Uh, I'm going to be congrats smoking. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be smoking one of my CBD infused 
JSK Nug Cigars, mm. and they are a real treat. And actually, so yeah, if your audience wants to join, I don't know, you know how how soon this is getting out, but uh, six o'clock tonight, Friday, and probably every Friday if this goes well. Uh, and this is on my my Facebook page, Adam Charles Kokesh, and that's K O K E S H. Absolutely, Adam. I'll definitely hey, uh, I'll send a link out. And just kind of add you on Twitter so guys can actually go check you out tonight and, you know, awesome. stop following all that good stuff. Awesome. Uh, thank you so Adam, much, man, Thank you for coming. I enjoyed the conversation. Like, and like we both said, we definitely do some more. Absolutely. All right. Peace and love, y'all. You've been listening to The Point Noted Podcast with Johnny B and Rashad B. Follow us on Twitter at PT Noted and Instagram at Point Noted. Hit the subscribe and follow button to follow us and check out more episodes of us talking a whole bunch of shit. You've been noted.